0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Brent Menard.
1: And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on Station KLA. Our guest for this 416th show is author John Brassard. We're going to be talking about the Great Long Grove Bank Robbery of 1921. Our history buff is Rick Sweet, and Rick, start us off.
2: Oh, oh, thank you, Jay. <laughs> John, uh, you, you re- recanted um, a gripping story in our broadcast portion on the Great... Grove bank robbery of 1921. Could you, you want to gauge how stupid these robbers were? <laughs> One to ten. You know, uh, total lack of planning, execution. I mean, uh, at least they could have busted the door down. But you want to. Profile. Uh,
1: no, I mean, it's, it's hard to <laughs> right. imagine going to rob a bank, finding the door locked, and then saying to yourself, "Well, we'll come back. We'll in come an back hour. in an hour." <laughs> well, well, no, we're, oh, weren't you well. listening to what John said? He said everybody knew right. if they were they home were watching, at lunch, you
2: would come back. <laughs> rattle, rattle, running. rattle.
1: <laughs> and then, oh, by the way, I'm going to leave my unoccupied car running in front of the bank.
2: <laughs> but you want You want to Who? Who were? I mean, you mentioned one's a barber and one's an extortionist. <laughs> uh, what you know? Uh, uh, where were they from? Were they from uh, Eldridge? Were they from Davenport, Bettendorf?
3: So, the, so they both lived in Davenport. Uh, Harry Hamilton actually lived over in the West End. Uh, if you're familiar where the Rooney's Tacos is at, now he lived almost right across the street in one of, in that area there. Uh, uh, Hamilton lived there with his wife. He was originally born in Niagara Falls, New York, and then. As a young man, he made his way out to Davenport. Uh, Roy Purple was actually from Kentucky, and he had moved up to Indiana. He'd, uh, he had a wife and a daughter there. They split up, and then he remarried uh, around here, and then he had the twin boys, and he died when they were a year old. Uh, the funny thing is, is that it wasn't just that they drove away. They kept driving around the area, and people would occasionally spot the car. So they weren't sure what was going on. And part of the discussion they were having inside the bank when they pulled up is that Gene Marty was concerned, what if they do come back? And the, the bank has these great big windows, maybe like 20 by 20 or something. They're enormous. And they see the corner pull around and, oh, what are we going to do? And Brownie's like, well, we're just going to deal with it. <laughs> okay. And they dealt with it all night. And the funny thing is, if they would have just driven away, nobody had any idea who they were. Nobody had any idea what they were planning. There were no other accomplices. Uh, it was even there was even this big red herring with Hamilton because he's been shot four times, and he keeps saying they double crossed us, they double crossed us, they double crossed us. And the sheriff's trying, okay, who double crossed you? And he, of course, you know, in great fashion, he would not admit anything because he's going to be stoic. Well, when. It, he was in Mercy Hospital. He finally confessed, no, I planned it. Roy Purple assisted me. It was all our idea. Nobody else had anything to do with it.
1: Okay, so uh, we, have, we have this wonderful scene where we have a, uh, we have a body in, in, uh, on the sidewalk, and then we have Hamilton being dri- driven off to the hospital uh, with multiple gunshot wounds. Um, so how does this story end? does Hamilton end up in jail for the rest of his life? Do they, you know, are we taking, is this one of those, um, wild West things where we're stacking the body against the wall and everybody's getting their picture taken with it. I mean, how, how far, how far into absurdity does this thing go afterwards?
3: Um, actually Hamilton dies of his wounds four days later. Okay. Purple's already dead. Uh, his wife claims the body he shipped back for burial to where he's from in Indiana. And his wife moves back to Champaign, Illinois with her dad and the twins. Uh, Hamilton, his funeral was kind of bizarre. I know, it's a shocker. <laughs> um, he dies four days later. Hamilton was extremely poor. Him and his wife, his wife was a shop, uh, she worked in a department store nearby. I can't place which one, but I'm kind of wondering if it wasn't uh, Peterson building, Peterson Van Mar down there. Uh, at any rate, Uh, she worked there, so she didn't have a lot of money. And so what happens is, is that they didn't really have a lot of any money for the funeral. They took them over to Oakdale Cemetery, Oakdale Memorial Gardens now, and they place them in a pauper's grave. It was just whoever showed up, showed up. Some people actually knew him, maybe a handful, and there were a lot of people that showed up because they were curious and said, who was this guy? We want to check this out. Let's go to his funeral, because that's perfectly normal, too. And... they go in, they can't even find a headstone for him. He's buried in their equivalent of, uh, of a potter's field.
2: In a pit. With
3: uh, a right. poor section. And to this day, I mean, I he doesn't have a headstone. So actually, when I took a picture for my book, uh, I couldn't locate the exact location of it. So I just took a picture of the field and said, that way.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, Brett. <laughs>
3: well, as as
0: someone who has done, you know, the the cemetery tours where people stand by in the gravestone and, and talk about their life I want this guy added to the tour, darn it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that would be such a hoot to be the person interpreting
1: that. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Let me tell you about why the did worst. I do this? <laughs> Let me tell you about the worst day of my life. Right.
3: And and always sit there like a chastile small kid, like and then I robbed the bank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then I left. And then I drove around town. And right, then and I, then came, I back. came back. But but darn it, I was a chivalrous gentleman <laughs> and kept telling <laughs> the poor teller the girl, she that was gonna be she okay. was going
1: to be fine as in between I'm, pistol whipping as her body. And I beating the geriatric guy to death. <laughs>
3: and then what was what was even better is that Hamilton was doing this. He kept threatening him, You know, he kept asking him all the, way, all the way over again, Do you recognize me? Do you know me? Do you recognize me? You no, know me." don't have the clue. And then he threatened before he left. if you tell anybody this happened? Which you know they're gonna tell everybody this happened <laughs> because they already know. Right. And if this happens, then I'm gonna get my friends from Ostalusia to come up and can't handle you. Like, really? <laughs> That's the best you can
1: do? <laughs> <Yeah>. A <Ossalusa>, Iowa? <laughs> rough, rough town, that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, you you can't make this stuff. No, you cannot. I mean, that is absolutely correct.
0: So, so I suppose I should actually toss a question <laughs> <in> <laughs> somewhere along. So, you talked about Um, these vigilance committees that the banks are putting together, did they have any sort of formal application or or formal requirements, or did you just go and say, oh, well, Fred's trustworthy and he's a decent shot, we should put him on the committee?
3: (laughs) I I think that was part of it locally, Um, but it was all above board. It It came from... The highest levels of state government, all the way down, everything was officially sanctioned and agreed upon. Uh, I'm—I don't know necessarily if there was a background check per se. Actually, that's a question I never thought of. So that's something for me to look up later. Um, but every bank in across the state of Iowa also had to do—you had to have at least four members. So I mean, there were some where you see uh, like a crowd of. 15, 20 guys outside. Posse's. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. what it was based off of is the early pioneer days when vigilantes would go out and they would handle things. So well, this was all officially sanctioned, but in all the newspapers, they always act like, you know exactly what they're talking about. So they're talking, well, the vigilantes went out. So for a long time, people thought that just the people along the road went grab their guns and said, you ain't doing this here. And that wasn't the case at all. This was their job to go do. Although... I strongly suspect there were a few people that just kind of jumped in on the action
1: when he said it, but it's, it's, you know, I mean, why should I, why should those guys get all the fun? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> the one exciting thing that's happening in Long Grove, <laughs> yeah, I want to have I my. To it, beca-
2: right. it became a social event, if you remember from the broadcast. First. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, uh, John, I was uh, uh, wondering. Uh, the robbers ended uh, ignobly uh, they uh, were killed for doing this uh, stupid act how uh, how prevalent in this period of time from the 20s and I think you've done some research up into the 30s were bank robberies in Iowa where the the culprits were eliminated before they could spend the ill gotten gains there was, uh,
3: were robberies where, uh, pardon me, where robbers were actually killed in the attempt, there were one or two, nothing as spectacular as this. I mean, it was more what what you would expect. They came out, they robbed it, they fired, they shot back, and that was it. And it didn't have the hilarity attached to it. Uh, apparently, there were a higher class of bank robbers. Um, <laughs> and, but overall, it was an amazing deterrent to them. They had gone from a crime wave in the 1920s, starting about 1920, to they had all this manpower to help prevent it, and there was a real sharp decline in it. It really did work as a deterrent to it. Was it completely 100%? No. no. But now, because robbers always dealt with things, you have bank robberies today with silent alarms and our guards and everything else. Well, this was kind of the upgrade in that you have kind of a local wandering group of armed guards that, if you come in, you might have to deal with them. So it was another obstacle if you really want to do it. But still, the more obstacles, the more deterrent there is. Like, nah, we're going to go to a different bank and maybe try
1: it there. All right, John. But I think overall it was pretty successful. I think I'm probably going to get the last question, and, and I'm interested because in between segments we were kind of talking about. Um, you know, the idea that that this became almost a a folklore kind of thing. So my question is, how was this event covered in the press, and then how did that in turn sort of inform the way this story got passed down? Because you said you'd heard it as a kid, that you lived out that way and had, had heard this story before. I feel cheated. I grew up over here on the <laughs> Illinois side of the river and have never heard this story because I would have been spreading and embellishing this sucker tell who laid the rail.
2: You would have written a book. <laughs>
1: oh my god, yeah. I mean, you could you could do so many things with this story. So, so how was it covered and, and then how did sort of the, the the facts get meshed around or played with as time went by
3: so at the time you had two big Davenport papers uh, you had the Daily Times and the da- Davenport Democrat and leader and what for this because it was such big news What one didn't cover, the other would. They took extensive crime scene photos. They took pictures of everybody involved. They took pictures of the Vigilance Commission members who were there. They took pictures of Harry Hamilton. They investigated his background. It was covered so thoroughly uh, during the official inquest, which was done like the next day. There were very little facts that differed between the papers and the inquest. Because there were, and the paper even pointed out that, well, there was very little embellishment at the inquest today, or the embellishment that was there wasn't there today. So I mean, they were already starting to to pump up their story a little bit, but uh, after a while, it just settled down. And of course, through the 1920s, everybody locally knew it. But then you're going for the Great Depression, and everybody's dealing with that. And then we went into World War II, and everybody was dealing with those things. And Davenport grows up, and people move on, and nothing really happens. And Long Grove after, as a matter of fact, Long Grove begins to shrink, and it started in the 1930s, and then it just kind of fades away, and locally we do it, and the big reason we know it locally is that there were still bullets, there still are bullet holes on the side of the bank from that bank robbery, And so that was the big thing for all of us kids, you know, my granddad and my dad, and you know, my uncles and whoever would put, out, hey, you see the bullet holes in the banks? And I even got to carry that on to my kid. Like, Whoa, that's so cool. And it never ceases to to wow to see that. And then you can tell them the story. Well, unfortunately, the story just kind of got forgotten. And it kind of became, well, there was a bank robbery, and they shot him and they took care of it. And it it had become something else. And the vigilance commissions and all of that were kind of a buried part of history, too.
1: Sure. (laughs) Okay, go ahead, Brett.
0: (laughs) We would like to thank our guest for this 416th show, author John Brassard, who talked to us about the Great Long Grove Bank Robbery of 1921. The history buff for today's show was Rick Sweet. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on tunein.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at soundcloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down until you find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, And Google Podcasts. RY is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.